Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is June 11th, and on this day in history, in 1930, William Beebe dove to a record-setting depth of 1,426 feet off the coast of Bermuda. He used a diving chamber called a Bathy Sphere. Ooh, I care. On this day in 1936, the Presbyterian Church of America was formed in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, on this day in 1947, the U.S. government announced an end to sugar rationing. Now that was probably a mistake, because now we're all fat, see? We eat too much sugar, see? And we're obese, and we have diabetes. On this day in 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in Florida for trying to integrate restaurants. And my God, what a crime that was. On this day in 1982, Steven Spielberg's movie E.T. opened. On this day in 1987, Margaret Thatcher became the first British Prime Minister in 160 years to win a third consecutive term of office. Oh, way to go, you iron bitch. That's what happened on this day in history. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. I'm Jonathan B. Lerner. Stay tuned or I'll haunt you in your dreams. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Go ahead and like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. Usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener 
and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. I did want to get that out of the way before we break into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. And hey, let me just assure you, it's not much more happy. It's not a lot, you know, it's not going to be an uplifter. But we will be speaking to Nick Pecorero a little, a little later on. He is an ardent animal rights activist, vegan vegan uh, enthusiast. I don't really know how to describe it particularly, but he will clarify once we start talking to him a little later on. But until we do that, let's do review a little bit of what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. So, what is going on in the news? What's going on in the world? Well, Donald Trump has gone to Singapore for a historic summit with the North Korean dictator. Oh, joy. Oh, God. Trump is the first president in U.S. history to meet face-to-face with a North Korean dictator. Kim Jong-un is the third generation in his family to run, dictate, if you will, North Korea. His family has spent billions, and that's billions with a B, of dollars building up their nuclear arsenal, much to the dismay of, oh, I don't know, the world. But they've done it. Here's what's important to remember. A lot of people think, well, you know, talking is better than not talking, and you have to give Trump credit where it's due. It's good that he's making peace with North Korea. We don't know that he's making peace with North Korea. He doesn't know that he's making peace with North Korea. Frankly, he doesn't know what he's doing with North Korea other than showing up for a photo op. At least three presidents of both parties have spent decades trying very diligently and deliberately to push and persuade the Kims, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Jong-il's father, Kim Jong-ho, they've been trying to push and persuade them off the path of nuclear weaponry. China's been trying, South Korea's been trying, for years everyone's been trying, and everyone has failed. Here's my point. North Korea represents a stubborn pain in the ass that has defied global resolution for decades. Yet it's all now apparently boiled down to two bloated men sitting in a room face-to-face deciding second by second what the other one wants, what he means, whether he's honest, whether he's legitimate, and so on and so forth. So you must understand, we all must understand that Kim Jong-un and his whole family have been preparing, hoping, working, and studying up for such a situation their whole lives they i mean they've spent their lives hoping for this working towards this donald trump has not donald trump couldn't know less about anything at all 
A sit-down like this between Trump or any president and a North Korean dictator, in a situation like that, precise words and terms and their meanings are critically important. That fact alone should scare the crap out of us. We all know, even Trump supporters know, that he doesn't open his mouth without gobs of meaningless bullshit falling out of it, spewing out of it. Some people suffer from bad breath. Trump suffers from bullshit spewing out of his mouth every time he opens it. Reducing words, terms, and definitions down to their, let's say, simplest forms and simplest meanings, or twisting them around to mean something completely different? Well, let's be real, that's something we've all kind of gotten used to with President Dumbass. He'll say something ridiculous, he'll say something misogynistic, like when he tweeted that Kirsten Gillibrand had come to him for campaign donations and would have done anything for them. We all knew what that meant. Everyone knows what that meant. He knew what he meant, and he knew how people would take it. But days after that tweet came out, his his minions and Sarah Huckabee Sanders and other people like her went out and spoke to the press and tried to say that but you must be uh, really have your head in the gutter to think that it meant anything dirty like that, you dirty son of a bitch. What? So that's twisting. That's lying. That's talking about the minutia of a word and... You know, if I sat here and called every listener to Radio Free Brooklyn a puffed up son of a bitch, and then the next day tried to be like, oh my god, no, where I came from, puffed up was the highest form of compliment, and I didn't say son of a bitch, I said son, I have an itch. I was talking to my son and I had an itch. For God's sake, shut up! Well, that would be pretty ridiculous. And yet, if Trump did the exact same thing, he would have a whole band of supporters saying that we were rude to think that he called us sons of bitches. That's not going to work in this situation, okay? Doing this, doing stuff like that, spouting nonsense and whatnot in a one-on-one with Kim Jong-un will make it very difficult, if not impossible, to know and understand what they're even talking about, much less determine whether they're serious. If Trump asks, for instance, let me put it this way, if Trump asks whether North Korea will denuclearize and they say yes, well, what does that mean? Okay, are they going to destroy their existing nuclear weapons? Only destroy the ones capable of launch? End construction of new ones? End civilian nuclear enrichment? Okay, when? And for how long? Without mastering the details, Trump won't even know what the hell they're talking about, much less whether or not he's being honest. And that's why this whole charade is a farce. I don't think anything good's going to come of it. I'm just hoping something doesn't go terribly wrong. And let me put it, let me just say, despite this complexity and the incredibly high stakes, Trump went to Singapore saying that he didn't think he needed to prepare, that this was all about attitude. I mean, look, I'm stupid and incompetent. He also said that he would be able to tell within one minute whether or not Kim Jong-un was serious and whether or not they were going to get along. And if they weren't, well, I wouldn't waste my time. Years, decades of diplomatic negotiations and attempts to work this out and understand the situation. And he's just writing it off as, oh, no, I don't need to prepare. It's all about attitude. And by the way, a lot of people were joking about having Dennis Rodman tag along with Trump for this summit. Well, it's not a joke. He's there. 
Dennis Rodman landed in Singapore today specifically for the summit. Dennis Rodman of the Chicago Bulls and Detroit Pistons and inmate number 198.7. He's in Singapore. His agent, Darren Prince, confirmed the trip. God, I mean, seriously, God help us all. That's how seriously Donald Trump is taking this trip. He's not preparing and he, and he invited Dennis fucking Rodman. Oh my God! We all gonna die. Moving right along. The G7 summit was also a disaster, so at least there's that. After meeting with global leaders at the group, the G7 summit in Quebec this past weekend, Trump said that he instructed U.S. officials not to endorse a joint statement with other world leaders documenting the meeting and agreements. When he left, he had assured them he was fully behind it, they had his support. Then once he was gone, and I'm talking like an hour after he left, he told his reps not to endorse it. So this is just another example of Trump destroying American credibility and damaging diplomacy between us and our closest allies. Trump tweeted from Air Force. First of all, he already made a bad impression because he showed up late and left early. And he was rude and disgusting. Then he leaves and tweets from Air Force One that the decision to not support the joint statement was a response to comments made by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about how while Canadians are polite and reasonable, they won't be pushed around. That apparently, I guess, I don't understand it. That drove him to go crazy? Yes. That's why he pulled out of the agreement? I loved it. I mean, a lot of people are saying that this was an attempt to make him look strong, make him look tough, like a tough negotiator. It didn't make him look strong. It didn't make anyone look strong. It makes him look like an unreliable, petty little bitch. That's great. I love you too. Who, by the way, no one, including North Korea, is ever going to want to work with, negotiate with, make deals with. How could they want to do that? How could they trust us while this dipshit is in office? He can't be trusted to follow through with even his own promises and dealings, much less those made by his predecessors. Doesn't matter to me. I mean, oh, hey there, holy shit. I don't even know what to say. He's completely... And we're going to have to pay the price someday. Moving right along. All right. What else is going on with the news? On a much lighter note, Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande are apparently engaged. Like I give a shit. Moving right along. I saw an article today that the headline was, New York City sidewalks don't have to be a garbage dump. Duh. I mean, hello, they must listen to this show because this is something I've been saying for years, oftentimes on this very show, on this very station. In the article, there were photos from Barcelona, Barcelona, of people putting their garbage into bins instead of just throwing them into bags and onto the streets. Newsflash, you didn't need to go to Spain to discover such an innovative method of handling garbage. No. Hello. 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 New York City is one of, if not the only city in America, where it's cool and allowed and legal to just pile garbage bags onto the sidewalks, creating stinky, leaky, repulsive mountains of garbage. And by garbage, I mean garbage, but I also mean rat food, which is why we have so many beastly rats running the streets. 
So much would be fixed if we just made people put those in plastic bins. That's what they do in almost every other normal city. And they don't have rats like we do. No, they don't. Rats and garbage. Two of my favorite things, especially in the summer when they both start stinking. Oh, God. Stinking? Stinking. Garbage! Well, that's what's going on in the news. That's what's going on in the world. Okay, did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn has a free iPhone and Android app? I bet you did because I say it every single week. You no longer need to be chained to your computer to listen. Just download the free Radio Free Brooklyn app from the App Store or Google Play so you can listen to independent community radio wherever you go. Oh my God, it's your lucky day. You can find the iPhone app by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone. And the Android app is available at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Android. So download the app today and listen to RFB wherever you are. Okay. Radio Free Brooklyn, <laughs> this is, yeah, it all comes together. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. I'm talking to you. If you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality, community radio we invite you we implore you to make a one-time donation or better yet a monthly pledge at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate you can donate as little as a dollar and every cent helps us continue to stay on the air so please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford and remember, and this is important, that RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Okay, and now, as promised, we are going to welcome in Nick Pecorero, who studied musical theater at Indiana University, but now lives in the beautiful Hawaii and is an animal rights activist and organizer for the group Anonymous for the Voiceless. Nick, thanks for calling in. Is it beautiful there? Is it as beautiful as we all imagine it to be? You know, I, I have to be honest, it is. It's, it's really gorgeous. What island are you on? Oahu. Oahu. Is that the big island? I don't I don't know. No, so the big island is the big island, also known as Hawaii. Oh, um, yeah, I knew that. I was just actually, testing you. <laughs> yes, of course. I understand that. Um, yeah, so Oahu is kind of the main island, if you will, so that's where Honolulu is. So that's kind of where a lot of the action goes down. Oh, I see. So, can you tell us a little bit about Anonymous for the Voiceless? Who are they and what do they do? I would be glad to. Um, thanks for asking. And thanks for having me on the show, Jonathan. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so Anonymous for the Voiceless um, is an animal rights organization. Uh, we specialize in street activism. Um, so it was founded two years ago in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, by Paul Bashir and Asel Almandari. And in the last two years, it's expanded to over 600 chapters worldwide. Um, so this is all grassroots volunteer activists um, in now over 600 cities across the world. Um, so we employ uh, direct action. Um, we uh, display footage of factory farmed animals in what we call a cube of truth. Um, so people, if, uh, if you've seen V for Vendetta, um, that Guy Fox mask, that's kind of ind indicative, symbolic of the anonymous movement. Um, so the Cube of Truth, the members volunteering in the Cube will wear those masks, and then they'll be playing, holding a screen, a tablet or a laptop, playing footage of factory farms. 
Um, and then we have people on the outside doing outreach. If people want to talk or they're interested or just have questions, um, then we talk to them and tell them what it is they're seeing and, and why we're out there. Gotcha. Okay, so when I initially reached out to you about being on the show, I think I referred to you as an ardent vegan and animal rights supporter. You politely corrected saying that you were an ardent vegan and animal rights activist. Now, can you kind of talk about the difference between a supporter and an activist? I'm, a I'm guessing that the key difference is action. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that's fairly accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, so there, there's a, um, a nice little scenario that I like to say to people. So um, let's just say we walk, we're walking down the street and there's someone beating a dog. Mm. Um, there are three options, three different routes that we could go. On one hand, you could join in and, and start beating the dog with that person. Hopefully that would not be your choice. The other option would be to just, you know, turn away. I just, I don't want to see that. Turn away, walk away. Um, however, in that option, the dog still gets beaten regardless of if you participated or not. And then the third option would be to actively intervene and prevent that dog from being beaten any further. Um, and so that's why I became an activist. I wanted to intervene. Okay, I, I can understand that for sure. So let me, okay, so most of the vegans I know say it was a gradual process. You know, first they were vegetarians, then they cut out milk and cheese from their diets, then fish, then eggs, and eventually they were a full-fledged vegan. So was this true in your case? And what, what was the tipping point or what tipped you off and made you want to give up meat and animal products? Did you, were you first a vegetarian? Um, so I actually had an interesting situation. So um, I had always wanted to be vegetarian or interested in it. It's sort of a back burner priority, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's really easy in a world dominated by meat, eggs, and dairy um, to just kind of, you know, turn, turn away. <laughs> turn away and, you know, say, oh, I'll get that, I'll get to that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was kind of always my attitude. And then um, May 6, 2011... Um, I actually got in a car crash that um, kind of changed my life. Uh, it was a really uh, intense accident. I totaled the car. Um, I, like, blacked out. I came to in, like, a smoky car. Um, but, you know, right before the crash happened, um, I looked left, and there was all this construction. I looked right. There was, you know, bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And then I looked ahead, and there was just the brake lights. And that was about two seconds. And then, you know, the, the impact. Um, so I felt utterly helpless in that moment. And for whatever reasons, um, I decided that I never wanted to subject another living creature to the helplessness that I felt in that moment. Really? So that's, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of the, uh, a vegetarian story like that. It's usually like, oh, I watched a documentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, those, those definitely played um, a role. I, I have to say that somewhere in my mind, I might have just watched, like, um, that there's a Temple Grandin documentary um, about how she had improved uh, Slaughterhouse, mm -hmm. uh, like, the path for cows walking to, to slaughter. Um, and anyway, that might have been somewhere in my mind, but um, no, that was definitely the um, inciting incident. And then after that, I read a book called Eating Animals, by Jonathan Safran Fulworth. Um, and he actually, he, he's like a pretty popular writer. He wrote a, another book called Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Oh my God, so, I love that book. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that's like, a, it was made into a movie with mm. Sandra Bullock, um, some other big actors. Yeah, and it, it was a, you know, box office hit, um, I think. <laughs> but I mean, it was, yeah. It should have been yeah, a bigger so, hit. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I thought I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, so that's the... Um, he wrote this book called Eating Animals as well. And ironically, he's not even um, vegan. He's not fully plant-based. So you know that he is not biased in his writing. Um, but yeah, Eating Animals was just all about um, factory farms and standard conditions on factory farms. And that just completely opened my eyes to a world of horror that I never never knew existed. And actually, that, that book is being made into a movie. It comes out... Um, I think in just a few days, uh, really? Natalie Portman, yeah, it's called Eating Animals, comes out, I think June 17th or something, um, June 15th, narrated by Natalie Portman. Oh, so it's a documentary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Now, yeah. we're going to talk about factory farms more in a minute, but I saw on your Facebook a number of photos from what looked like marches and protests. What kinds of things, whether businesses, restaurants, or governmental decisions, what tipped you guys off to typically go out and protest or call for a boycott? Like, I think one of your most recent posts was of you in a group outside of what looked like a, a sports bar or sushi restaurant or one back-to-back. Now, did they did that restaurant specifically do something, or was it just kind of selected at random? Because, I'm, I mean, given how many restaurants there are and how many of them serve meat products, I can't imagine you guys protest outside of everyone. No, that's correct. Um, so I think what you're uh, referencing, I just went to the Animal Liberation Conference in Berkeley, California, ah. um, uh, put on by the organization Direct Action Everywhere. Um, so that Direct Action Everywhere, you know, all, all organizations have different uh, methods. Mm-hmm. Um, so Direct Action Everywhere, um, their two big things are open rescues, so actually going into factory farms undercover obtaining footage of, um, you know, horrific abuse and um, really sick animals, even sometimes dead. Um, Oftentimes these conditions are illegal, but there's really no one there to enforce these laws. Um, So they do, they perform open rescues. They'll go in and actually rescue sick animals. And then um, their other thing is interruptions or disruptions. So, um, so yeah, so that was actually the conference and that was kind of like a workshop, if you will, um, and I actually, that's funny that you should ask me that, because I asked um, the leader of the workshop that same thing, well, why are we targeting this specific restaurant? Um, and I think in that case, it was just um, more of um, an action. Oh, so it really had nothing to do with the restaurant? Um, so the restaurant, it had, I mean, that restaurant serves meat, eggs, and dairy. So, you know, any, any restaurant that serves that, like, we would technically have reason to protest. But mm-hmm. I think in that situation, it wasn't necessarily... That they served any more meat, eggs, and dairy than right um, than anywhere else. It was just a really popular uh, restaurant on campus. Gotcha. What? So one thing I do think that almost anyone, really, I mean, vegans and meat eaters like can agree on is that factory farming is just an abomination. I mean, absolutely horrendous. Something I, I really don't think history will look kindly upon. Can you give a brief description to people of what exactly a factory farm is? Sure. Um, yeah, so a factory farm is essentially industrialized animal agriculture. Um, so, you know, when you look at uh, the packaging and marketing for meat, eggs, and dairy products, normally it's like happy cow, it's free-range chicken, it's humane meat. Um, so, you, you know, you're they're putting these images into your mind of uh, a joyful existence. <laughs> and um, factory farms are quite the opposite of that. Um, you know, many of them have hundreds of thousands of animals um, in cages and 
um, even if they're cage-free, you know, stuffed into a tiny barn. Um, the conditions are just absolutely horrific. Um, now, the exact definition of a factory farm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not positive on, but I would just say industrialized animal agriculture. And really, kind of, that's what documentaries like uh, Food Inc., but really Earthling. There's a documentary called Earthling, which is just. Well, first of all, there's actually laws. I think it's called like Ag Bag or something, where you're not technically allowed to film anything that happens in these farms. And there's a reason. It's because they are absolutely horrific. I mean, they, the conditions they live in are just beyond inhumane, and they are they live in fear, and they are tort. I mean, it's yeah, it's absolutely horrible. And if anything's going to change your opinion on that industry, if nothing else, these will do it because seeing it is jarring. Now, all, we agree on that being abominable, but how do you, how do you feel about, you know, organic, cruelty-free, cageless, and whatnot? I mean, when you see people, because I know people who say that they will only eat cruelty-free meat or whatever. Now, does that mean anything to you? Do you feel any differently about meat like that as you would something that came from a factory farm? Sure. Um, so, yeah, lots to unpack here. Um, yeah, so the term is ag-gag, so um, right. it's a like big ag, big agriculture. Um, basically, silencing free speech, it's extremely chilling to all free speech in the First Amendment. Um, there's a, um, an actual act now, it's a federal law um, called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, um, which I believe came about in maybe 2011, or not, not too long ago, um, basically uh, saying... Uh, prohibiting any act that either damages or causes the loss of any real or personal property um, in regard to um, any kind of animal agriculture enterprise. So that translates to basically you can't show people anything that might make us look bad and lose money. Precisely. I mean, there was actually a huge, even before this law existed, um, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> you might have heard of her. Oh, I um, thought you were talking about the other Oprah Jackson. <laughs> I know everyone gives them confusion. She's a great, she's great, but no, in this case, Oprah Winfrey. She uh, had had an episode in her show. I think about like why beef was bad or why the beef industry is not great or something. Um, and they sued her. The whole the industry sued her, and it was a huge lawsuit. It, um, I mean, you can hear her speak on it herself, but um, yeah. So basically, anything that threatens. Um, any kind of profit to these industries can be considered an act of terrorism. So, you what? know, with the leaders of direct action everywhere, they actually, um, his name is Wayne, uh, he's been sued, he has six or seven lawsuits against him, um, felony charges for it's going in, I mean, you can read about this more, but he, they rescued three um, sick baby pigs from a pile of trash, essentially. They were useless to the industry, not profitable. Um, and they rescued those pigs and, and were nursing them back to health, and um, the FBI got sent out. The FBI? Uh, as if they have nothing else to do? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts exactly. But uh, Glenn Greenwald, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, mm-hmm. has a really good article on, on that. Um, but I believe, what was the, there was a second part of your question that I... Uh, well, okay, so do you feel any differently? Like, if if you know that some beef or whatever came from a cruelty-free or cageless or organic free-range farm. Do you view that any differently than you would someone eating a burger that you know came from a factory farm? In other words, is it the conditions in which the animals were living before they were meat, or is it just the fact that they're meat? 
Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it would be... So first of all, I should preface this comment with, um, you know, I hold an abolitionist stance as an activist, so I believe all animals should be free, um, you know, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of their happiness, just like us. Um, So I do hold an abolitionist stance. Um, pretty firmly, which means that I don't believe in any animal exploitation. Um, however, <laughs> we also have to exist in the reality that we do. So I absolutely think, you know, that a cow <laughs> coming from, you know, a family down the street who maybe raised it like their pet and then it was sent to slaughter, of course I would rather that situation happen than, you know, an industrialized production. Um the government calls them concentrated animal feeding operations. So I would definitely rather that that be the case um, than concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs. However, you know, at the end of the day, these animals, no matter if they have the best life in the world or the worst life in the world, when they are sent to slaughter, they're still having their throats slit and their lives are still taken from them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the question I like to ask people is, is there a humane way, the term humane meat is so popular these days, right? Mm-hmm. But is there a humane way to kill a living, feeling being who doesn't want to die? Well, isn't there, though? I mean, like, we kill, I mean, okay, I'm not necessarily well, a proponent for the death <laughs> penalty, but I mean, like, lethal injections more humane than, I don't know, hanging somebody. Sure, I guess there are, we, if we want to say levels of, humaneness, then sure. I'm sure there are, there's more a more humane way to do something than, than a less humane way. But just, you know, black and white, flat out, is there a humane way? I mean, another way to put it would be, is there a humane way? I mean, I guess you just said it yourself. Is there a humane way to kill a human being? And I, I'm um, not sure the answer to that. I think I, I, I know my feelings on that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Right, and I understand that. And like honestly, the part of why I wanted to have you on the show, and I was going to get to this later, but I'll just mention it briefly now, is that I feel like when I see your activism and when I see your feelings on this particular issue, I recognize it. I recognize a lot of it as the way I feel about guns and gun control and the epidemic of gun violence in this country and how we just are letting it go crazy and no one's doing anything about it. And so it's kind of... What I'm interested in is the messaging, because we live in this world where we both feel very strongly about a particular issue, and yet, I don't know how, maybe maybe you feel differently, but I feel like it's just, we're in a sea amongst people who don't care, or, or are almost oblivious and whatnot, and nothing's being done. And so I am interested about talking about messaging and getting the word out there. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the effects a vegetarian and or vegan diet has on one's health. So what changes, you said you had that experience in 2011? Yeah. Okay, so what changes did you personally notice in your own health and body since becoming vegan? Well, I mean, you know, we're talking about health. There are, you know, myriad health benefits, documented health benefits of um, a plant-based diet, but something that is not so easily quantifiable, um, would be the spiritual aspect of it. I think spiritual health is something um, <laughs> very often overlooked in this country. I mean, you know, you brought up the gun control and shootings and whatnot. I think spiritual well-being... We know, are pretty like, low. We are pretty low right now. Yeah, we're pretty low right now. And that 
very well could be the cause of that. But, you know, I, I, I felt good. I felt happy. I felt like my actions were in alignment with my values a lot more than they were before. Of course, I wasn't perfect at that point and never will be. It's a, it's a never-ending process um, with everything, not just your diet and, and whatnot. But um, I think, yeah, so I just spiritually felt a lot more um, aligned. And then as far as the actual health goes, um, I mean, you know, you can eat, especially these days with all the options that are available, you can eat a vegan diet and basically consume everything that you want to um, on a non-vegan diet. So if you want a steak, you can get a vegan steak. If you want a donut, you can have a vegan donut. You know, the list goes on. A vegan Um, steak. Now, what is that actually made of? Um, so it depends, you know, it depends on the company. It could be made of soy, it could be made of seitan, it could be made of um, just oh. uh, plant, you know, different plant materials, um, maybe peas, um, et cetera. It, it, you know, the list, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm i constantly amazed that, you know, some of these products that are coming out, I don't understand. I mean, the, the, the new thing, you know, that, that might take over the leather industry is mushroom leather. Ooh. They're making mushroom uh, leather from mushrooms and also pineapples. Pineapple leather? Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah, it's a hit new thing. Um, well, Nick, you but, look... Okay, so I, a lot of people, when they think of vegans, they they conjure up an image of someone who's very, very thin, kind of, you know, not very muscular or whatever. You, you know, you seem to have combated that. I mean, do you take supplements? Do you... Or is did, was there ever a change in your build? Uh, no, there was... There, was not a change in my build. Um, Do you know what I mean, though? When people think, they think very skinny, like either if someone is on a plant-based diet, typically they do, you know, a lot of people will go on a vegan diet to lose weight. Yeah, exactly. Most, so most people I've spoken with, I mean, I was always relatively fit. Like I played soccer, I danced, I've always kind of worked out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that going uh, for me aside from the diet. Um, but... I just lost my train of thought. Most people, oh, most people lose 15 to 20 pounds when they go on a vegan diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I would say I lost, actually now, um, that's what I was saying about the vegan diet. It's not necessarily inherently healthier. Um, But now I've been really focusing on um, fruit consumption. Most people don't really eat enough fruit. And, um, you know, just like my portion sizes and whatnot. And, you know, I'm... I'm the lightest I've been in a long time since, like, high school. So, And I never really needed to lose weight, but I did, you know, just focusing on what fruit I was eating, what plants I was eating, and, you know, what time of the day I was eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you know, I've lost 10 pounds easily. That's it? I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you... You didn't, yeah, You like you said, you didn't need to lose weight. I think that's probably good that you didn't lose more than that because if you lost too much more weight, you'd probably be too skinny. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I'm actually like, I'm actually looking into, you know, getting a personal trainer, um, you know, because I would love to just like put on muscle, but my weight loss, you know, for, for years and years I was vegan and didn't really notice um, that much of a difference in my physical appearance. Um, I don't take any supplements. I mean, every so often I'll take a B12 supplement, um, but you know, if you've eaten meat your whole life, um, if you just, if you stopped eating meat today, you wouldn't need any more B12 for six years. Hmm. So, yeah, so, like, there are a lot of um, kind of myths rampant, and the protein thing is obviously a question. Mm-hmm. question I get a lot. Um, you know, most people, 
aren't really aware of their protein intake unless they're a bodybuilder. Um, so, um, there are plenty of vegan bodybuilders and plant-based bodybuilders. Really? Um, there's someone named, yeah, there are a lot of them. Wow. Um, yeah, there's someone named Nimai Delgado, who it's, uh, his Instagram is Nimai underscore Delgado. And he is one of the fittest people I've ever seen. And he has never eaten meat a day in his life. Oh. Yeah, so that's, you know, he's a big, he travels everywhere. Um, so he might be in a city near you. Well, but there's also someone named Patrick Baboumian, who is um, the world's strongest man right now, and he's, he's vegan. Um, actually, you'll see him. He's featured in a new movie coming out called Game Changers, uh, produced and directed by James Cameron. Wow. Avatar yeah, meets so Titanic true. meets veganism. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so most people who switch to this kind of diet, they do experience a number of instant benefits, you know, since they're eating a lot a lot of vegetables, a lot of other nutrient-dense food. Over the long haul, though, according to this article, it said that sometimes this lack of saturated fat and even cholesterol can lead to hormonal imbalances or can make it hard for somebody some bodies to produce like sex hormones and ultimately when that happens it can some people's bodies almost like rob themselves to make up for certain nutritional deficiencies my point only by bringing that up is just that some with some people's bodies it's just i don't know it's just a reaction they have so are you and some of your other people in your groups are they sympathetic to the fact that some people for whatever reasons might not do well on a purely vegan diet because it sounds like when you said you know, your abolitionist viewpoint, but you also mentioned, you know, being aware of the reality in which we live and whatnot. So, you know, how do you find that balance? Do you, are you sympathetic for people like that? Um, you know, I am absolutely sympathetic to any, anyone's health uh, conditions or necessities. Um, but my only hesitation in response to the question is just that there's so much misinformation abound about this topic. Um, so doctors, I mean, a lot of times doctors are the ones giving uh, patients, this kind of diet nutrition recommendations, and um, doctors at most universities are only required to take one semester of nutrition. So doctors are trained; they're professionals in treating illness, but not preventing it. So um, there's just a lot of misinformation. Like I said, um, I would say, you know, meet with a nutritionist if you have a very specific health concern. Um, eat with a nutritionist or a dietitian, but the American Dietetic Association, its official official position um, is that appropriately planned vegetarian or vegan diets are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and may provide health benefits in the prevention and treatment of certain diseases, um, including throughout pregnancy and for newborns. Hmm. Okay, well, here's one of the most common arguments I hear for people, not necessarily arguing against vegetarianism or veganism, but more so to justify their own meat eating, is that animals kill and eat each other in the wild all the time. Um, that humans eating meat, assuming it doesn't come from a factory farm, is is no worse or different than a lion eating a zebra. Now, what's your typical response to that? You've probably heard that before. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, there are a lot. There, there are a lot of responses. It just depends on which which route you want to go, I guess. But um, first and foremost, I would, I would say that 98%, 98% of meat, eggs, and dairy come from concentrated animal feeding operations. So that's almost 100% wow. 
No, wait. Of me. Just to be, so when you say concentrated, you're basically saying factory farms, right? Yeah, concentrated animal feeding operations is the government's new term for factory farms because I guess they <laughs> thought it sounded better or more accurate mm. or something. But yeah, so concentrated animal CAFOs are factory farms. Um, but yes, almost all meat eggs and dairy, overwhelming amount of meat eggs and dairy comes from factory farms. Now, if you want to just look at the, that 2% of meat eggs and dairy that don't come from factory farms, um, sure, we can look at that. Um, I would say um, to justify something we do because an animal does it makes little to no sense. Animals, um, you know, animals rape. Does that mean, does that, mean that we should rape? Um, you know, there are so many things in the history of humankind that have been done in the name of tradition that weren't necessarily moral or just that we've since, you know, changed or at least are in the process of addressing and, and changing. And, you know, I don't, I don't base any of my other actions or decisions on what a lion does. No. So I'm not sure why in this one situation people like to look at lions eating gazelles and and use that to justify well, violent behavior. I guess it would just be the idea that, because a lot of times people will hear, a lot of times people become vegetarian or vegan or whatnot because they feel it's unfair and unjust to the animals and whatnot. You know, we are imposing something on them that they have no, obviously no say in, but also something that's just unnatural for us to drink a cow's milk. You know, we cows, we aren't even you know, totally different species and whatnot. But, and so people bring that up because it's something that happens in the wild amongst the animal kingdom and something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, another thing I would say, and this is, this is a, a thought that I have not fully formed in terms of, like, my word choice, so just, like, bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, if we are the apex species, we are the kings of the animal kingdom, if you will, um, do we not have, you know, some sort of moral obligation to, to lead? If we can recognize that um, killing an animal for its flesh or secretion, if we can recognize that killing that animal causes needless suffering, then should we not make the decision to end that suffering, to reduce that suffering wherever and whenever possible? I think that's a fair point. Thanks. <laughs> I will point out, because just the point that we aren't perfect, is that unfortunately we do have humans who rape and murder other humans. So we're far from a perfect species, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but at least at this point in many societies, um, we can look at something like rape and we, and we have either outlawed it or it's very socially unacceptable. Not every society, of course. And even in societies where it isn't entirely unacceptable. Of course, we see it happening at alarming rates. Um, but Right, just become a Hollywood executive and you can apparently rape anybody. Sure. Just kidding. But, um, okay, so, <laughs> but I, okay, so I mentioned the, you know, feeling kind of a kinship in the sense that knowing what it's like to feel so strongly and passionately about a single issue. You're not, I mean, not to say that we don't care about other issues, but you know what I mean. And I often feel like your feelings on animal rights and veganism are similar to mine on guns. And as someone who's constantly trying to spread awareness, I've learned that messaging is very important. Coming up with ways to communicate so that people will actually listen and not be turned off or feel, I don't even, I don't even know. It's amazing how 
people like being ignorant. Truly. I mean, people don't want to talk about guns because they just they know it's a contentious issue. They know that maybe they don't know a whole lot about it. And so when it's brought up, they just shut down and they don't want to hear. They don't want to learn. And I can imagine that you probably run into similar problems. You know, people have eaten meat their whole lives. They've eaten, you know, a certain way and whatnot. And so when they see a group like Anonymous for the Voiceless, they just think, oh boy, they're going to shame me or whatever. I don't even know. And so they kind of shut down. Is that something that you guys ever think about? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think uh, messaging is not only important, it's essential, it's critical to the success of our movement and the success of any movement, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I'm also all about word choice. I mean, that's why I get a disclaimer (laughs) about the last thing that I said. I I think word choice is is incredibly important. Uh, So yeah, messaging is is essential. You know, it's difficult because um, in some ways, you know, carnism is the reigning ideology. Carnism is the, the invisible ideology that governs why we eat certain animals, but not others. Um, and, you know, that's the vast majority of the world um, abides by that ideology. Um, so in some ways, I feel like I'm grasping in the dark, you know, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work mm-hmm. in the animal rights movement. Um and I, I personally feel that shaming, I mean, there are so many studies that have shown that shaming rarely, if ever, has a positive I thought, I, I thought you were going to say, I personally have found that shaming is great. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because, it's funny that we're talking about this because I, there are people who, who think that in my movement, in the animal rights movement, yeah. I'm pretty prominent figures and... Does that bother no. you? Because I see a lot of these people. I have to say, you know, I've seen some of them. Like, I saw someone who was on Good Morning Britain or something recently who had led a group to, like, to the home of these two, this couple who had owned, who had actually run a vegan cafe and had, for one reason or another, um, I don't even know, I guess they had three baby cows born at their barn or something and the vegan leader felt like that was a betrayal and so they led like a march to their house and they were starting getting death threats and stuff do you think when you see that don't you think don't you get almost offended because it gives it gives vegans a bad name i think yeah absolutely well it's like any radical segment of a movement gives the entire movement a bad name um it, it does it makes me upset um you know the the reason i became vegan was to lessen the suffering right in the world so (laughs) the only way to get there is through nonviolence, through love um i mean martin luther king has a wonderful quote about that i can't remember it off the top of my head but uh we cannot fight hate with hate the only thing that you know uh, will beat hate is love Mm -hmm. um so yeah you know do you think that's almost a perversion of your message? I, I mean, like you said, it could be of any message, but like when people are, I mean, it's kind of like someone promoting gun control and they get so aggravated and worked up that they end up going to some hunter's house and shooting them dead. I mean, it's a, right. it just kind of is like, oh God, that's not really getting the message across very well. Exactly. I mean, any kind of violence is antithetical to the core message of our movement. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, any approach like that, unfortunately, I would not claim as a part of my movement. 
um, I would just say, you know, that people are people. Humans are flawed humans. And anything you see like that, you know, what's happening in animal agriculture and these factory farms is incredibly disturbing. It's painful to witness. It's infuriating for a lot of people, um, vegans and non-vegans alike. And so I understand people's anger. I get it, but um, acting on that anger is not necessarily in alignment with with our violence. Acting on our anger in angry and violent right. ways I was or, say, or shaming ways. Turn that anger into action in other ways. You know, plan more uh, demonstrations. Go do more awareness work or whatever. But yeah, you can't actually, don't go and kill someone. I mean, hello. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, that even on a lesser scale, even just someone shaming someone or whatever. I mean, I saw that a lot in New York. That's incredibly common is, is trying to shame people for um, anything. For anything. And, you know, it's just, it, it's a, it's a, it's just evidence of, you know, people, people's flaws. People don't understand how to communicate. People don't, you know, the bigger picture is love. We can't preach a message of love with hate, anger, and violence. It, it doesn't make sense. Do you still have close friends who might not be vegan or vegetarian? Yes. Um, some of my best friends still eat meat, eggs, and dairy. And is that you know, I love them to death. Is that hard for you? Um, so, it is hard for me to see people I love and people who I don't even know consuming the flesh and or secretions of either deceased or, uh, you know, currently imprisoned animals. Um, yeah, that, that can be hard to watch people doing that, but it's, you know, we're seeing what's with globalization and all these globalized industries, there is a major, major disconnect between the product and the reality. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in veganism, or I'm sorry, it's not just in meat, eggs, and dairy, you know, that extends to so many industries. Um, so it is difficult for me, you know, when I see someone eating meat, when I know what happens in these industries and I and I see the abuse that happens to these innocent animals, most of which are babies, by the way. Almost all of the animals that we slaughter for meat are babies. So it can be difficult, but, you know, I also recognize, you know, I ate, <laughs> I personally consumed meat, eggs, and dairy for 20 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So for me to, to look at anyone else and with any kind of judgment or hate, or whatever, it would be completely hypocritical. Do, um, your, do your parents or sisters eat meat? Actually, thank you for asking. My three sisters are all vegan now. So, really? So you converted yeah. them? Yeah, well, we, well, my little sisters actually went vegetarian before I did. Wow. Yeah. So she converted so, you. Um, so they were vegetarian, and then I went vegan first. <laughs> okay, and spread out your parents. My mom uh, still does eat meat, eggs, and dairy sometimes. Um, she has always been fairly plant-based, mm -hmm. um, but no, she's not uh, committed, you know, to to a vegan diet. And my dad, 
Um, does sleep medics and dairy, but I would say his diet has, in my opinion, and from my perspective, radically altered. I mean, I have memories of him never, you know, refusing vegetables, and now he eats a lot of vegetables. Um, and, you know, we have, um, at our Thanksgiving last year, we had a big family reunion, and um, we had, you know, the regular Thanksgiving and then the vegan Thanksgiving. So oh, even just cool. giving everyone those options. Yeah, we had a whole vegan feast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's difficult with, with family and close friends because, you know, they also knew me when I ate meat, eggs, and dairy. So, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> they could very easily say, like, you know, hey, I lived with you for 20 years when you were doing the same thing I'm doing, so how do you have the right to talk to me? Um, that makes total sense. Um, so... At the end of the day, you know, in that, in most of those cases, if they if they ever want to talk about it, I'm glad to talk about it, and I do. And sometimes they'll bring it up, and we'll have you know a nice conversation about it. Um, but there's a bigger picture that's really important to remember, which is um, relationships. The rest of the world. Huh? Sorry, go. Ahead. I was gonna, I was going to say relationships are important, even if you have to cross some boundaries. Oh, yeah. I mean, relationships are incredibly important. And it's, you know, Melanie Joy um, is a Boston psychologist. And she has, she actually made a movie, or not a movie, I'm sorry, YouTube video. YouTube video called, oh, The Secret Reason We Eat Meat um, by Melanie Joy. So that's on YouTube. It's about a 20-minute video. Um, So she dubbed uh, the theory of carnism, which is why we eat certain animals and not others. Um, but she has a lot of really good information on, you know, how to have a successful and open relationship uh, between vegans and non-vegans. You know, whether it's friendship or, you know, your partner or whoever. Um, but, you know, the proper dialogue to use and also just how to be an ally to each other. Yeah, I think that creating alliances as opposed to barriers. Yeah, I'm all about that. Well, that's good. No, I mean, that's good because honestly, like, because that's another thing that sometimes you see, which is unfortunate, you, like people become so almost militant that it does, it becomes hard for them to communicate with anyone who might be a little different. And so, you know, that kind of ends the possibility of educating people and, and whatnot. Okay, I have two more questions quickly before we run out of time. One is, so you majored in musical theater at IU, and I imagine you were planning to make that your career choice. Have you totally kind of gone off in a new direction? Are you still performing much? Um, I don't perform much anymore. I actually uh, did audition for um, some shows here. I was offered some roles, but unfortunately, schedule-wise, it, it wouldn't work out. Um, but, you know, right now, my focus is animal rights. It's been animal rights. Um, I think this is the journey that I uh, was born for. So performing is still incredibly important for me, and, and it's in my heart. It's in my body in my soul I miss it I definitely miss it um but I know you know it's like it's like when you say goodbye to a good friend and you know you know your path will cross again um for sure so yeah I'm not too uh you know I think I think it'll happen did that you know the other thing is go ahead so your experience happened when you were I think a sophomore did you know by junior year that oh well this isn't exactly what I am gonna pursue right away you know, it's it's funny that you should ask. I actually went um, abroad the summer after my junior year. I studied international law in Amsterdam. Hmm. And 
Yeah, and after that summer, um, I knew, I kind of knew that I, I needed something different, that my, that my life, I had always been kind of um, casually and vaguely interested in, in law, and I was definitely interested in animal rights. Um, I always joke that, you know, while my, all my friends were performing um, or, you know, watching shows and learning about musical theater, I was, like, at home watching YouTube videos of animals, <laughs> and, like, animal documentaries. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, um, that summer after my senior year, I, I, or junior year rather, I, I knew, um, I think I wanted something a little different, but I wasn't quite sure what it was, and by that point, you know, our senior showcase was set up in New York, and, right. you know, I did love theater, and, and it was the only thing I knew at that point, so. Did you love your experience yeah, at IU? Did you love IU? Where are you from? Um, I'm from Arkansas. Okay, so... Yeah, do you love, I loved IU. You did? That's good. <laughs> yeah, I miss it. I, I love Bloomington. You know, I love that um, Big Ten college feel. Obviously a beautiful campus. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love my college experience. Oh, great. Well, okay, so and the last thing I was going to say, and you've kind of, we actually kind of already touched on this, but are there any documentaries you think people should watch or books you think they should read on this topic? You mentioned, what was it called, by the Extremely Loud Guy, Why We Eat Animals? Um, yeah, so that was called Eating Animals by Jonathan Sackenfower. And that movie is coming out June 15th, uh, narrated and produced by Natalie Portman. Um, but there are, you know, some things that you can do right now. Um, for anyone who has Netflix, a great uh, documentary to watch is called Cowspiracy, produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. You might have heard of him. Mm hmm I have. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's pretty big. Um, and then there's another one on Netflix um, by those same creators called What the Hell. So Cowspiracy focuses on um, the environmental aspects. Um, animal agriculture is the number one cause of global warming, more than trains, planes, cars combined. Um, so that's what Cowspiracy focuses on. What the Hell is a documentary that focuses just on all the health aspects um, of eating meat, eggs, and dairy. And then you actually mentioned it earlier. There is a YouTube. Uh, there's a movie on YouTube, uh, narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, called Earthlings. And um, I just want to give everyone a big uh, warning. Warning. Yeah. It's very graphic. It's very graphic. So don't go into it lighthearted. Um, Earthlings, you know, is it's, basically all animal agriculture footage. It's food ink times a thousand. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's actually a new. Um, movie coming out called Dominion, mm. um, which is basically being hailed as the new Earthlings. The director of Earthlings actually co-produced Dominion, and um, that was filmed in the last year in Australia. Um, all, uh, I think over 200 factory farms they visited, and um, yes, with all brand new footage, it goes through each animal and, and basically the entire process, what happens, what their lives are like. Um, and that's called Dominion, and we actually just hosted a screening here in Honolulu, and um, it's premiering in New York July 7th, so I'd, I'd keep my eyes out for that. Nice. All right. Well, Nick, thanks so much for doing this. I'm glad we finally were able to work this out. Yeah, me as well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a great chat. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll post links to those films and whatnot that you mentioned we'll post those on our facebook page so thanks if for i can mention just one Please, yeah. more there's a youtube video called the secret reason we eat meat and i mentioned it earlier again it's a youtube video it's 20 minutes called the secret reason we eat meat by melanie joy um, that's a really really helpful one as well the secret we eat meat all right we'll post a link to that 
actual video on our Facebook page as well. All right, well, Nick, thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of your day. I mean, what time is it there? It is, I think it's, yeah, 6 o'clock. All right, great. So have some dinner (laughs) and go enjoy the sunset. Thanks. All right, you have a good night as well. All right, thanks, Nick. So we've been talking to Nick Pecorero, who is an animal rights activist and an organizer for Anonymous for the Voiceless, a group that basically it takes to street activism and spreading the word for various causes. So as I say every week, and I mean it more and more each week, remember, friends, that apathy is the enemy. More than anything else in the world, apathy is the enemy. Care about what's going on, know about what's going on, read a book, read the newspaper, watch the news, have an opinion, care, take some action, and who knows, maybe even make a change. For Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been The Next Best Thing. I'm Jonathan B. Lerner. Until next time, good night. about you.